frustration Though at times the struggle wears me down I believe in the power of my prayer and meditation There my source of strength is always found Now I must fight to live my dream Fight to share my love Fight to understand that the power to overcome, to live my dreams, share my love, to understand that I have the power to overcome, Talk to the dark 
my shorty be over. News flash, shorty, we over. We like Def Jam and Hover. We like Bobby and Whitney, except without the kitties. Um, and Flatnettison's career, except without the titties. We had some good times, didn't we? I know I won't forget that. But we had some bad times, and that's the time I wish I could get back. We could have had it all, but I guess we'll never know. Shake your booty, boys and girls, yeah. 
set up a franchising system to make sure anybody came to America can get free land and free labor. Black folk, again, were not in the system. They were underneath the system. They never got the free land. They never got free labor. They were the labor force. And so by the 1960s, when, when Monaghan's memo went out, blacks were an obsolete, abandoned labor class. Our black civil rights leaders bought into the concept of focusing now not on black folk, but on minority women and children, people of color, multicultural, diversity, anything other than black folk. Now it's moved over to gay and transsexuals. Now I have the dubious honor again. I wrote the first affirmative action plan in the United States. I wrote that in 1970. I wrote it for the state of Florida, approved by Governor Askew and the state cabinet. I didn't write the affirmative action program for everybody. And if I were a white male right now, I'll be mad as hell because the affirmative action plan was not written for everybody. It was written for black people. It was written for a very specific reason. It was written to be corrective action, correcting something that the government has systematically done to handicap, exploit, misuse, enslave, and beat up on a specific group of people and deny them access to resources. But the Monaghan memo, with a lot of our civil rights leaders supporting it, switched it away from black folk and switched it to everybody can now be called a minority and everybody entitled to the same benefits. If you're an immigrant that ran across the border last night, you're entitled to the benefits. That's not, you're not, that's, that's not what it was designed for. Nobody used these broad, ambiguous terms. Minority. What is a minority? Nobody knows. Is that a one-legged man, a plant piano, blind piano player? What's a, one, what's a minority? Nobody knows. Nobody knows what a minority is. Nobody knows what a people of color is. So when you move into all these broad languages that you cannot measure, you can't identify, doesn't mean anything. And see, if I were a white male right now, I would go get into a minority program. You know why? Because the white male is one of the biggest minorities in the country. He's entitled to go into every minority program you got and get what he needs out of it. We had a Pakistanian came up to Washington, D.C. The University of Maryland did the same thing. He was a Pakistanian. He went through Africa and came into the United States, and he said he was an African-American. The scholarship program was set up for African-Americans. He says, I'm an African-American. I, I left Africa, and I'm in America. <laughs> and he's absolutely right. And, and, and all my white friends right here, over here, over here, you know, all, see all these, all of these are African-Americans. You know why? Because the first human beings on Earth were in Africa. All people radiated out of Africa. Every white person is an African-American if he lives in America. He's got, he's got African blood in him. It might be go back some, uh, quite a distance. And a lot of us even closer than that in some, in our, in, back in the 1880s. So everybody's an African-American. Nobody knows what it is. You can't measure it. And so when, when, we, when we get with through the civil rights movement, they ask them, so blacks, what do y'all want? What are you marching for? What do you want? And our civil rights leaders uh, incompetently said, we want something that we can't measure. We want equal opportunity. And so the white community says, abracadabra, you got it. What else do y'all want? They say, well, we want equality. They say, abracadabra, you got it. They said, well, what else do you want? We want freedom. They said, abracadabra, you got it. Now get the hell out of here and don't come back anymore. They didn't get anything. The civil rights movement got nothing. And every time they got a march, they're marching to Washington, you can ask them, what is it that you're marching for? They're not marching for anything. There's no connection between them marching and getting benefits. And I'm, I'm not going to run out of my time, so I'm going to start getting to talk about some solutions. I don't, I've lost track of my time, how much time I got. They only gave me a half an hour. Am I okay? Oh, he said, I got, I got the time. Okay. So, so what I'm saying to you is that we've got to stay away from these very broad, ambiguous terms. Because these very broad, ambiguous terms have been used by our own people, not whites, but black organizations, to stifle and bamboozle their own people.
I'm sorry to say that because most of them are my friends. And I go to him and I said, come here a minute. I said, come here a minute, son. I said, what are you? He said, who are you with? He said, I'm with the NAACP. I said, what's your goal and objective? Who you, who you represent? He said, I represent poor people and minorities. I said, okay. I go to my friends in the Urban League up there in Washington. I said, who do you represent? They said, we represent diversity and multicultural. I go to Jesse and I say, who do you represent? He said, I represent the rainbow. I said, who in the hell represents black folk? <laughs> Nobody. You have no leadership. You have no leadership. Nobody's representing you. Black folk have been abandoned. And, I, and, and even, even I did, my, did the powernomics, the black labor study. I did a study in 1960. And then 1960, we had approximately 103 black elected officials in the entire United States. I did a social discomfort indicator study to find out what the conditions were of, of black folk were in, 18, in 1960. I looked at the unemployment rate, the dysfunctional schools, dysfunctional family, joblessness, unemployment, income, everything, median family income. Then I waited 30 years until 1990 and did the exact same study to see what had happened. Why? Because in 1990, 30 years later, black folks' number of representatives in elected office has gone up over 9,000%. I say if black folks have gone from 103 elected officials to 9,000, boy, we must be doing well in the country. I did the same exact study, discomfort indicator study and found out that not only didn't black folks progress, guess what, they went backwards. They went backwards because there's no connection between putting a black person in office and getting benefits. None of them are gonna do it. As soon as a black person gets elected to office, the first thing you're gonna do is violate the sworn oath he just took. He had sworn oath and say, I'm sworn to get in the office to represent those people who elected me to office and serve them. As soon as a black person gets to office, the first thing I say is that I'm here to take care of everybody. And so you have no representation. And when I got out of politics, that's why I said I quit. I ran the campaigns for, as I said, for presidents, for governors, for attorney generals, and for congressmen and state legislators and mayors. I wasn't in the campaign. I was the campaign manager for them. I have never run into a black person yet who says, I'm going to represent my own people and take care of them once I get in office. They won't do it. That's not white people against you. It's your own people who won't do the things they're supposed to do for you. When Maurice Parade, mayor of Miami, and Mary Steerheimer, the, 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 the uh, county manager down in Miami, in Dade County, says, Dr. Hansen, would you please come down here and uh, help us in Miami? We had, we had three race riots down there since the 1960s. Come down here and help us stop some of these problems. And, uh, and, and I, said, you, I said, you got a black city manager down there, Howard Gary now. He's in Jet Magazine every week bragging about he's the only black city manager in America. Why don't you ask him to do something? They said, well, well, would you come down and help us? So what I did, I gave him, I provided $10 million for him. I took $9 million out of, the, out of a fund for the Department of Commerce and, one, and another million from the Department of Labor and set up a revolving loan fund in Miami called Miami Citywide and Miami Capital and sent it down there so, they can, so black people can go in there and get access to money to start businesses in the city of Miami. That money went down like in October. When I went down there, when I got down there, then they called me and said, why didn't working? I said, why? They said, you had to come down and check. I went down and checked, and Cubans had taken it over by June. And they had put out 27 loans to Cubans, took, took the program from the blacks. So, this, so, so my white friends, Mayor Maurice Ray, who's a good buddy, and Mayor Sarah, I said, come down here and help us. I went down there, and I said, what do you want me to do? He said, I said, why don't the city manager do something? He said, you go talk to him. I went over to Howard Gary, city manager. 
in Miami, and I met him in front of, front of the city hall, and I said, Howard, why don't you do something to help these black folk? Look at all these houses are slum infested. They're leaning and falling down. People standing on rocks to get in the house. Rats running all over the place. I walked into them. You can see that up, all the way upstairs, a big hole, all the way up to the toilets and the bathrooms up next door. Do something to these people. Give them some jobs. And why don't you help black folk? He said, Dr. Anson, let's get one thing straight. He said, I am not a black city manager. He says, I am a good city manager. And why should I go out of my way to offend whites and Hispanics and Cubans to do something for black folk? I said, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. But I said, the first chance I get, I'm taking you out of this office. You can count on that. And by 1988, I had him out of there. Turn the club into a rainforest I don't even care, I just ignore him 
What's real to me Somebody, anybody Try to explain to me It seems so difficult Somebody, anybody Break it on down for me Somebody, anybody Make it make sense to me I'm just not in the boat I just don't know But it seemed to me You downright made it hard I don't know The other day I would expect a change, but I just didn't know in turn you had turned my page. You were sitting on top of your problems. You were sitting on top of your pain. You were trying to get a grip on that ego. We're trying to make a change Why didn't somebody open my eyes for me? Why didn't anybody take the time for me? Well, I didn't know the change was coming, coming Oh, 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 oh. 
different if I knew what it was in store. I would have gave some more. You know what I'm asking for. I see you different. I didn't know you were sitting. Don't know, but it seemed to me downright made it hard. I don't know how buddy played his card. In the other day. I would expect a change, but I just didn't know in turn you had turned my page. You were sitting on top of your problems. You were sitting on top of your pain. I didn't know you were sitting. You were trying to get a grip on that ego. You were trying to make a change. Oh, uh, you know it seems so ridiculous to me. It never clicked how spectacular the dream. At the time I thought about it, I want to change. You gave it to me. All I ever needed was you. Oh, oh, oh. No. Sitting on top of your problems You were sitting on top of your pain Oh, I didn't know you were sitting You were trying to get a grip on that ego You were trying to make a change Because you see, black people don't want to help their own people And that's why I'm so proud of this Black Chamber of Commerce to say we're going to go and start doing stuff for black folk, not to hurt anybody else. Now, how do you do it? You go back to the basic problem, which is lack of wealth. Now, black folk got almost near getting close to about a trillion dollars in wealth now, a million dollars in wealth, a billion dollars in wealth. What you need to do now, what you have to do is to figure out how to tap that money and hold it. Black folk right now, annual disposable income makes them about the ninth richest nation on earth. But the reason that black folk are so impoverished and poor in this city and all these other cities, they don't practice group economics. They can't practice group economics. Why? Because they don't have communities. Integration destroyed their communities. Now, when I go across America, I go to every city, and they, I cannot find not one single black community in America. All you got in America are black neighborhoods. A black neighborhood is totally, absolutely useless. A black neighborhood is where you eat and sleep. The Holiday Inn, the Marriott, is a neighborhood. You don't have any black community. Not one black community in America. To have a black community, you must qualify with three things you must have. You must have a wholly independent economic structure. You must have a code of conduct. You must have people in elected office to represent you. They have to be qualified as a community. I go across America, I can't find one. I get into California, I can find Chinatown, Japan towns, little Cambodia, little Saigon, Korea towns, little Mexican towns. I can find little Havana's, Hialeah, Cork town, Cork towns, little Italy's, little Italian, Greek towns. But I can't find a black town any place in the country. If you don't have, if you don't have a, a community, you can't play the game in, in real life monopoly. You cannot practice monopoly in this town unless you all build a community. You got to build a community. And the community, if you can't build a community, you got to build a sense of a community. And I go up to, I go up to, up to uh, Philadelphia and talk to my Italian friends. All of them don't live in Little Italy anymore. They identify with Little, with little Italy and come down and support it and buy from it in stores and businesses. Now, all the other groups, they do that naturally and instinctively. You got to set up this town right now. And I want the Chamber of Commerce to start doing this to get all their organizations to learn how to start training black kids how to produce wealth. 
It is wealth that determines your equal opportunities. Your wealth determines where you can go and where you can't go. Civil rights and, and socialism gets you nothing. It is what you own and control that will determine your, your competitiveness. You gotta build a community. And it can be build a business community someplace in this town. Go find a decent street someplace where you got a good traffic flow that is not being properly and sufficiently used. Block it off and say, in, in, in your mind and say, we're gonna take and develop this area. Why? To take the burden off the rest of society for paying for our food stamps and welfare, we just are generating our own income and wealth. Okay? You build, you, you get, you, you pick that block. Then you call, you get a big assembly like this and call every black you know. You divide them up in, in the room. You put all the blacks that own businesses on this side of the room, all those want to go in business on this side of the room. You tell out and you ask all those on the, in, already in business, say, look, how many of you would be willing to relocate your business where it is now in, the, in our business community? And get them to make a commitment to relocate if you build a black community there. Then you go to this side and say, how many of you all want to go into business? We provide businesses that we currently don't have. How many of you will open up a gas station, a cleaners, a grocery store, a drug store, and move into that community? And get a commitment out of them. Then you, then you, then you go to your politicians and say, I want you to support this. And we're going to mark this as a black business district where black folk can practice group economics. Your money must bounce. If you're going to be competitive in, a, in playing real-life monopoly, your money must bounce 8 to 12 times before it leaves your hands. Now, typically, Hispanic money bounces six to seven times. White money bounces eight to 12 times. Asian and, and, and Arab money bounces 12 to 13 times. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black money doesn't bounce once. The danger zone in this world right now in any city is to get between, a, on payday, to get between where a black person is working and getting paid and getting to a mall. You'll get run over, that's as fast as hell because they're gonna go straight to that mall with the money. They don't bounce the money. They don't buy from their own people and circulate the money. The money must bounce around. And that's, what, that's the problem in Detroit, Michigan. Detroit, Michigan right now, they had, a, they had a, a budget up there of something like about seven, eight billion dollars. They had another two billion in school and black folk were circulating about another four or five billion dollars. If they had circulated 10 to 12 times, they would have had about 300 billion dollars to run that city. But all of them go right across Eight Mile Road and drop their money. And, that, and, they, and they produce no income and no jobs, no services, no goods, no tax base for their own people. They provide it for the suburbs. The suburbs love that. So now Detroit is poor and impoverished because his money went outside the community. Silence.
One Media World Radio. Yeah. Yo, turn the piano up. Can you feel it? Yeah, like that. Just the way love feels. Yo, check it. Are we living in vain? Are we living in pain? Girl, remember my name. Remember my name. And whatever remains after we walk on white sand. Let's travel in style. Just want to see you happy and smile. I can change your life in one flight. Let's take off tonight. Come on. We go up. We go down. Let's go. Love is in. Then it's out. You can tell. Tell by now. If it won't. Yeah. Work out. Let's not forget back in Brooklyn, where the future first began. Let's start again. Start again. Can't be over. Can't be over. Smile and tell her. Instead, she said, Just what she told me. city and help this city at the same time learn how to buy from your own people and mere fact I got to tell you to buy black means there's a problem everybody else knows that go right now I bet you not on this town I can go right now and find a Hispanic community I can find an Arab community they will buy from their own people but our people don't have trust they don't have trust 
They don't trust each other. You can't trust each other if you don't have a community. A community comes first. Once you get a community and you get to know people, then you move up to the next level, you trust them. Once you learn how to trust people, then you move up to the third level, you begin to cooperate with them. And once you learn how to cooperate with them, then you get to the fourth level, you start holding them accountable for what they're doing wrong. The same thing in business. In business, if you're building a, a, a business operation and competitiveness and power dynamics is a five-story building. The first thing you all should be doing, as I said, get you some institutions like the chamber and started teaching, acquiring health, uh, wealth and power through operating businesses. If you build an economy, that's a five-story building. The first floor must always be economics. Always build an economy before you do everything else. The first floor is the economy. The second floor is politics. The third floor is the court and police departments, the enforcement system. The fourth floor is the media. The fifth floor is schools. Now again, you've been bamboozled on that because they keep telling you that if you go to, go to send black folks to school, go, jump to the fifth floor and try to come back down. Education can't do nothing. Education is just a tool. You start with your economy. Once you build an economy, a viable, competitive economy, by making your money circulate eight to 12 times, you take that money and you move to the second floor. The second floor is your politicians. Don't worry about voting. You don't have to vote. People that got money, whether it's organized crime or wealthy people, they don't have to vote. You take your money on the first floor and you buy every politician on the second floor. <laughs> If you can't buy them, you rent or lease them. And once you rent or lease those politicians or buy them on the second floor, you make hold them accountable to go to the third floor. And you stop the police from shooting and killing black folk all the time and come up with new codes of conduct. Then once you get to the third floor and get, and get, the, and get the police and court stress them straight because you can now effectuate it, then you go to the fourth floor. The fourth floor means media. You cannot own television stations, radio stations, and daily newspapers if you don't have an economy. I hear black folk crying all the time. I have two radio stations. I used to have four. You cannot have a, a media operation unless you have an economy. Who's going to buy your time, your ads? you got to have an economy to buy the time. And so you got to, you got to, right now we have 12,000 radio stations in the United States. We got about uh, 12,000 cable systems, 5,000 daily newspapers, 5,000 TV stations. Black folk own 35,000 of 1%. You can't even communicate. You can't communicate, you can't organize. You can't get communication because you don't have an economy. And once you get, get enough money, you put your medium up at the, up at the fourth floor. Then lastly, you tell the, fourth, the fifth floor, which is a school system, say, here's what we want. We don't want any more black basketball players and football players. Every black right now, a successful black, has got some kind of an illicit relationship with a ball. <laughs> he's either running with a tennis ball, basketball, golf ball, football, setting on jokes, telling jokes, pretending he's having a ball. Just get, up, get away from that and say, from now on, you try to raise kids that can produce something. The producers will be the people survive. Right now, black folk are zero producers and 100% consumers. You're going to get totally wiped out of this country and wiped off the face of the earth under globalization if you don't learn how to produce. You produce something at the bottom level, then you go up and have other blacks come in over you. If I, like I'm producing fish, a million pounds of fish a year, I want blacks to come in and warehouse, wholesale, distributor, then retail. I want to see some black lobster restaurants in the country. And you, and you build, and I, I have about two more minutes I got, 
Now, and you, and, you build these, and you build these vertical orders based on your competitive advantages. Start build your businesses where you have a competitive advantage. What are your competitive advantages, black folk? Always build your business where you dominate in population or you dominate in spending patterns. I, went, I built the seafood factories. Why? Because blacks eat three to four times more seafood than whites, and you spend $9 for every $1 white spend. You should be controlling the seafood industry. Do the same thing with leather. You do the same thing with your hair. Right now, blacks are the only people got, got a certain quality of hair, and yet the Koreans are controlling black hair care in America. And you watch you build these businesses like the difference between Detroit and Chinatown. You got it in, in, in Chinatown in New York. In Chinatown, New York, they got about a little less than 300,000 Chinese there. And again, in Detroit, you got almost a, had almost a million blacks. I looked at the two and compared them. What, in, in Chinatown, they had, they had 35 banks, 35 Asian banks. Detroit, they got two black banks, and that's owned by the same one. How is it that, that uh, me, almost a million people don't have two banks and 300,000 will have 35 banks? I looked at the number of restaurants. The Asians had almost 400 some restaurants in, Detroit, in New York. Black folk in Detroit had three. I looked at and I said, how, did that, how are these Asians producing so well and have some, so much? And, they got, and Asians have the highest median family income in America. Here's what they do in conclusion. They, 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 they build around their advantage. What is it that Asians eat the most of? They eat noodles. I went and found something like about, about 100 and some noodle factories in New York where they produce their own noodles. Now, once they produce the noodles, what do you put on the noodles? They put a sauce on the noodles. I, had a, I found about another 60 or 70 companies that produce the sauce to go on the noodles. And I said, what else are they producing? Then when I found that they had, I don't know how many, 35 or 40 companies that made the little fortune cookies. They take care of their own people. That's why you'll never see Asians, Arabs, Hispanic, or American Indians out marching for integration or for social civil rights. They don't do it. They build businesses. I love you all. Take care.
right, that's all the show I could fit in this three-hour period. We've been up in the air too long. The air traffic control tower has been calling me, telling me we got to go, we got to go. But look, I thank everybody for listening. Look, people, get it together. Let's get it together. Let's find what we got to find. Let's put the money together. Let's do what we got to do. It only takes us. Hey, thanks for listening. This is the One Media Radio Show. I'm your host, Juan Johnson. And I like to say one more time, as I do every show, we are out of here. A portion of this show has been brought to you by One Media Detroit, Face the Fire Productions, Worship Center Network, Save On Foods, and a host of friends and family that support us. We thank you for listening to the One Media Radio Show. One Media World Radio. Hi, my name is Juan Johnson, and my show, the One Media Radio Show, is the anchor of our radio network. We will talk local and national news, entertainment, and politics. The One Media Radio Show, only on One Media World Radio. Your radio, that's why it's real radio.